0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to The Females Podcast, Summer School Edition. This season, we're heading back to school, career school that is, with experts here to teach us the ins and outs of specific topics. Today's teacher is Gabby Dunn, A beloved writer, comedian, podcast host of Bad With Money, and author of a money book that goes by the same title, Bad With Money, The Imperfect Art of Getting Your Financial Shit Together. In her first episode of her Bad With Money podcast, Gabby walked into a coffee shop and asked the patrons two questions. First, what's your favorite sex position? Everybody was game to answer, even the barista. Then she asked how much money was in their bank accounts. People were aghast. That's a very personal question, people insisted. And therein lies the problem. Gabby argues that our inability to speak honestly about money is our number one barrier to understanding it, leading us to feel alone, ashamed, and anxious, which in turn makes us feel even more overwhelmed by it. If you can relate to this feeling at all, then you're hundred percent in the right place as we pick Gabby's brain for how you can break the financial anxiety cycle and get on the road to getting your financial life together once and for all. And because we're here for that real talk advice, be sure to stick around till after Gabby's teachable moment, because we'll be answering your listener questions, starting with how to manage being a first time manager when you have no idea what you're doing. You can submit your career questions for us to answer on future episodes by leaving us a voicemail at 844-FEMALES. And now, this is the Females Summer School Edition. Hi, Gabby. Thanks for joining us today. Your book is incredible, so congratulations on that. And I really wanted to just jump right into the advice you included in there, starting with what are some of the legitimate, systematic reasons behind our feelings around personal finance? Why are we so weird about this?
2: Sure. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with internalizing money as something that is a, a personal, moral, or intellectual failing. I think we see this thing that is so ubiquitous around us uh, and like should be something that we talk about with each other and get the best advice and share our problems so that we can get help and all this stuff. But we, We see it as like shameful or or embarrassing. And like, you know, I think also if I'm putting on my conspiracy hat, it's that the rich people at the top have sort of made it so that it's taboo or tacky to talk about. Uh, So it's sort of seen as uncouth. And then we all go, oh, right. We don't want to be tacky. So then we never talk to each other and then we never get help. And we just live in this sort of isolating, stressful situation where we go. We don't know who to ask for help. We don't know who to talk to. Um, And we don't talk to anyone because we think that we should have learned it by now, but there's almost no financial literacy. So I don't know, in my personal experience, I have no idea where I would have learned it. I don't have parents who know this stuff. Like, there's no place where it's like, oh, you just missed a day in school and you should have learned it. And I think that's true for most people.
1: <laughs> yeah. I wish it was just one day in school <laughs> that w- that right? was required for this. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious to do you think, um, I mean, you have your podcast, Bad With Money and your book. Do you think, and obviously there's been more financial literacy on the rise recently. I mean, we focus a lot on money related topics and salary topics at Career contest as well. Do you think this is getting better or do you think it's like Like, we're talking about it, but it's still, as you said, a tacky topic, something that people are still avoiding.
2: I might have a skewed idea of this because people now just say things to me. Yeah. But but yeah, I do think, like, people are talking about stuff a lot more, and I think social media has a lot to do with it. I see posts on Tumblr where people are very open about stuff and are very okay, like, crowdfunding, asking for help, or posting, like, you know, if there's an article that uh, some finance blog posts that is very myopic or that is very unhelpful or assumes everybody has a base level of income that obviously no one has. There are people will call it out. And I wonder, too, if that's like the younger generation just being more aware of social justice and being more aware of like um, how shitty and fucked up things are. So I think like they. I think there is like a wave and I see it on Twitter a lot too, of people who are able to share their real experiences and are ha- happy to answer questions and happy to share like what exactly is going on in their lives in a way that maybe people wouldn't in, in person to person situations, but like, you know, someone posted something yesterday about healthcare and then this one girl just was like replying to all about with all her healthcare problems and all of her money problems have to do with that. And it was so terrible to read but refreshing to read and i think like people are tired of keeping this stuff secret and i love that right
1: and i i do think that step 1 is sort of talking about it and having it be more transparent and i know i was listening to an episode you had recently for your podcast and it was talking about millennials and sort of like the myths versus the realities and i also mm-hmm. think that's sort of what's happening too is like you know there's these m- myths about our generation particularly and we're kind of busting through them and being like whoa 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 actually like that's not how it is. Let me tell you how it really is. And um, if social media is the is the medium that we use, I I, I mean that's better than nothing.
2: Yeah, we're able to to contradict and to fight back. We're able to reply and respond and write and write our own stories. And I think a lot of articles about millennials are sort of written with this baby boomer eye of like you know judgment. And then we're able to and it, and then you know it's a thing of like who gets to write the articles, right? It's this. People that are privileged, but then who has access to social media? Almost everybody. So then you get even more diverse voices in the responses to those articles than probably in the initial article. Yeah,
1: it's true. It's true. Well, since you are a bit of a a personal finance guru and expert, especially since you've been talking about this topic for so long, and um, part of why we have you here is to help us get our financial shit together, let's talk about what are some of the best things we can do today. This month and this year to get our financials in order, and and maybe along with that, what are some of your favorite money resources?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm. It's interesting to be called a guru and expert because I'm I'm still so bad at this stuff, but I have learned a lot. Like, I think like I'm still going through the process of learning all this stuff, and I think I am actually ahead of my peers in the sense that I've like taken my head out of the sand and and am just looking into this. But it's so much and it's so overwhelming that I don't if it, if I hadn't made this my like full time job, I don't know when I would have had time to do it. Right. It seems insurmountable. A thing that I did was I printed out my bank statements and for a year and I just went through them and highlighted different things and highlighted what I was spending on and, fig- and figured out like, OK, what did I how much did I spend on this? How much did I spend on that? What what did I not need to spend on that? I did. Why, you know, and just small things. Like I realized I was paying a lot for parking and I was like, oh, why don't I just find better spots? Like take five minutes right. <laughs> instead of, so like just small things like that. And that was huge. I mean, I never opened my bank statements. I never opened my mail. I started opening my mail. I never, I, I never like thought about money unless it was dire or, you know, I never took taxes into account as a freelancer. So I would always get shocked by tax time. It was really a lot of just, being aware of stuff all of a sudden and being hyper aware of it. And like, it eats up a lot of my mental space in a way that like, if I had a a different job, I don't even know how I would have the mental capacity, but like the small things, you know, I think is looking at like what you're actually spending on figuring out what you, what matters to you and what doesn't. Like I, I like to have, I like to live alone and so that most more of my money would go into that versus like i don't really care about clothes so i i tried to like sit down and figure out like what am i what do i really need the most and what do i not i also am like very i mean i i am very i don't want to make it like just that because i am i try to a lot of the shows very political so i try to like you know read and keep up on all the social justice aspects of things i try to you know, vote or keep in mind like what's going on with minimum wage protests and what's going on with healthcare costs and like just sort of recognizing trends that I think are really troubling. The biggest thing that I did was since the podcast started is I, I started a, a SEP IRA. So I have a, a like a retirement investment situation, which I never would have had, never had but I, I got an accountant. So there's like a person that I could talk to versus like, I really used to just like roll up to H&R Block and dump a bunch of papers <laughs> on a lady's desk and go, help me. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was huge. But that's like a privilege to have because I am I do, you know, you pay them. So, but yeah. So, I mean, I just sort of think about it and I'm hyper aware of it now in a way that I really would I would ignore it until it was dire and then I would figure out a way to get 50 bucks and then I would be like I'm fine.
1: Right, right. And that's a pretty stressful way to live too. You know, This
2: the- way is stressful as well. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. all stressful. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh so sorry anyone that was hoping that we were going to tell you how not to be stressed about this.
2: No, it never ends. It never ends. I I'm so on I'm like on top of stuff now, but I my car just broke down. Right. So like I'm on top of everything. I'm like in the best position I could be in and I'm still like well, goodbye. Like, okay, now here's $2,000. Right. Like it's, it's, still, you know, life comes at you and it keeps coming.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But I think it's actually refreshing to hear that because I do think if you're a person whose finances are not in order, sometimes you can be under the illusion of like, okay, if I just get this in order, everything will be great. And it's what you're basically saying is like, having it in order is is what you want because stuff is still going to come at you. So you need to, mm-hmm. you know, you can't think of this as like the minute you have a budget and you adhere to it, all things, you know, like, you know, everything takes care of itself. I think it's it's fascinating just because money is such a sensitive topic for people. But really what you said is like, I like to live alone. Like you do have to prioritize what you're willing to spend more money on. I mean, you know, you and I both live in LA. Like there are people who drive really nice cars in LA, but they don't care where they live. You know, like there's, yes, you know, there's exactly. that priority and stuff like that. Okay. I want to move into another popular topic around money, which is how it affects your relationships. What's your advice for managing money while you're single and dating versus married and combining finances? Cause it's all challenging.
2: I don't know that I would ever combine finances with anyone. I really, (laughs) I really feel very nervous about that. My mom's a divorce attorney. So I just grew up my whole life hearing about prenups and hearing about like, don't ever do that. Yeah. So I don't know that I would ever do that. And I know a lot of married couples who actually haven't done that. And I've known couples that were married that did that. And then it ended up being super messed up when they got divorced. So I I feel really skeptical about that. And then when you're single, it's like, you know, it was interesting because I I dated someone a while ago who hadn't been in a relationship in a while. And I was like, well, why, you know, why were you single for so long? And they said because they didn't have a job. And they were like, I can't take people on dates if I don't have a job. And I was like, that's such an interesting way to look at it but it is because I guess it is expensive to go on dates. So a lot of times it's like, don't go out to dinner, just get coffee. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then also like, I'm, I'm a queer woman. So it's like, uh, you know, it's the thing of like who pays and like, I guess you just trade off or, I mean, you should trade off if you're straight anyway, but like, you know, like, it's like who, who pays for things? Who's the natural, like, you know is it like one person wants to go to a super fancy restaurant like if you suggested the fancy restaurant right. you pay yeah these because, are like unwritten
1: rules right
2: <laughs> yeah exactly so like but if you're not like going on if you haven't been on like a, a few dates with the person don't go to like a restaurant like just keep it keep it coffee keep it tea keep it like a walk like you yeah. know what i mean <laughs> a walk <laughs> like
1: a walk. Yeah, i'm
2: not i don't want to it's like if you don't if you're, I don't know. I'm like actually if you're very pro. So many dinners, yeah. it's like. That's like a that's a not good man.
1: Well, and also, I mean, we're talking about managing your finances. Like, you need to take that into account. Like, if you mm-hmm. are doing your budget and you realize that, hey, I'm going out four nights a week, and it could be your relationships, romantically or your friendships. You know, there are people mm-hmm. where it's like we had a girl in the office the other day who we were like, okay, we're all going to go out and get coffee. Do you want to come? She's like, I'm on a financial diet. Like, she basically mm-hmm. let us, and I thought that was really great to be able to say, like. I really want to be able to hang out with you guys and I'll go with you. But just so you know, like I'm I'm trying to cut back on buying, you know, whatever the latte every day. And I think that's really interesting because money can affect your friendships. Also, if you're the person who's not going to the happy hour or I mean, you know, what if you can't afford to go to your friend's, you know, bachelorette party or birthday party? I mean, that stuff is real, too.
2: Yeah, you can get water at a bar. It took me a very long time to realize that you don't have to drink uh, a cocktail every time. And I and then as soon as I was like you can just get like a soda or water. I was like, "What? That's crazy." <laughs> but you can. And I do it now. And like and then you're still like hanging out and drinking something. You're just drinking like a like a cranberry juice or whatever. I think like it's nice like I've have friends now who will say like, "Oh, I can't. I can't go to dinner." And then like one friend I was like oh, come over to my house. I'll like make some pasta or like, oh, come over and and we'll just watch something or, you know, like you just you all you do is just adjust the plan. Right.
1: Do you think it's important for people to I mean, obviously, when you're budgeting and setting up finding like getting your financials in a in a better place? I mean, it sounds like that's a really important part of the process is one, knowing where you're spending your money and also kind of drawing your your lines and being able to know like what you can say yes to and what you're going to have to pass or adjust as you're saying.
2: Yeah. And I love when friends are honest with me about that. And I like saying that too. I like being like, oh, I can't afford that right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's so freeing because like even like with my car situation, like people are like, "Ah, oh, that sucks. You just have to get another car. And I was like, bitch, I can't afford a car. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, so it, it lets people like know to help you. Cause now like one of my friends is going out of town for six days and she's like, just take my car while I'm gone. Right. But how would she know to help me if I didn't say that? Mm -hmm. So like it's freeing and it's like allows people to help you when they want to help. Like your friends want to help, you know? So like there's that. And then also, you know, I think sometimes it's like people are really inconsiderate. Like, they don't take into account other people's financial situations, so they're like my bachelorette party's in Spain, and it's like, come right. on, yeah, yeah, like definitely. that's you deciding who you want there and who you don't. Right.
1: I mean that that's I mean <laughs> that's happened to me more times than I'd like to admit. It's just like you know you get invited to something, you're like whoa, like this is, this is, wow, this is really expensive. Um, And certainly you have to say no to someone. I will say sometimes it's embarrassing though to say no. Like there have been definitely times where I've showed, like I've had to tell say someone, you know, I'd love to go to the Cabo thing. I just, you know, and I feel like I have to make up an excuse versus just tell the Mm -hmm. truth. And that I think goes back to what we talked about first, which is like, you have this like, like, I'm ashamed of the fact that, like, I can't afford two grand to go on this trip for a weekend, which is silly, but it is it does feel like no, that. they're wrong, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's not but it's not it, it lets them know that they're doing something crazy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like I I can't go to this and you're the expectation that I would like. Do you want me there or do you want your thing? Well, I I mean, right. But I
1: do think money is sort of a sign of success for people. And so there's also the shame of being like, I can't go to that because it leads into all this other stuff, even if that's you're right. Like it is kind of crazy to ask people to do that. But I, you know, that's not usually where people's mind go. Usually their mind goes straight to themselves and and all that fun stuff.
2: But you don't know, you don't know what other people's situations are. Like my, my, my writing partner and I, we make the same, essentially the same income, but I have debt to pay back student loans, family obligations, um, these things that she doesn't have because our families of origin are different. Right. So you would look at us and be like, oh, they're making the same amount of money. But when it comes down to like what we both actually have in the bank, Hers is much different than mine. Mm -hmm. So you can't judge, you cannot judge based on people's income or success level. What, like, I'm cleaning up 10 years of family and mistakes and all this kind of stuff that she's not. Mm -hmm. So, like, you really can't judge people based on their income or how good their job is. Right. And one thing, I actually saw an article,
1: I can't remember where it was the other day, but it was basically this writer. She lives in New York and her parents helped give her a down payment to purchase you know, an apartment in New York. And someone basically made the comment of like, oh, you're like a a spoiled rich girl. Your parents were able to help you. And she basically in the the article, she writes about the fact that why is it as a woman, if I got help, I'm a spoiled rich girl. Whereas like if a man had gotten help, it would have been like, oh, he's so great. He's taking advantage of the opportunities around him and really Mm -hmm. making the most of it. Like, I don't know if you've come across kind of that in in your line of work too, but is it different for men and women as well when it comes to, you know, money and who kind of has it and can spend it and who is, you know, not? Oh,
2: the judgment on that stuff, I never really understand. The judgment on like this person's rich, it's like, uh, take the money and run. Are you kidding me? Right. If my parents (laughs) could put a down payment on an apartment, take the money and run. Right. There's no, I would never, and maybe it's just like, a scarcity mindset that comes from growing up, like middle, low income, whatever. And maybe this other person is like resentful that they, that they don't have that. And so they're judging the other person. But for me, it's like this thing of like, oh my God, no girl, like take the money. Like <laughs> if your parents are offering you money, take it. Like yeah. I, I, I would never, I don't know. I, I, I feel sometimes I feel like, oh man, I would be much more further in my career if, if I was wealthy, but if I came from a wealthy family, Mm -hmm. but like, but also like if someone does and they, and they are taking advantage of it and like they're, they're able to live a nicer life because their parents just skate, like that's fine. Like that's fine. Like I don't I never understand the judgment on that because that the person who's doing the judgment, you know if their parents were like, here's twelve grand, they'd be like, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you would do it. You would uh, do it. Totally. So why are you judging? I'll take if someone's like, you know, uh, I wanna gift you this X amount of money, I'm like, thanks. <laughs> like I'll just I never go like, oh, I have to like do it myself. Right. And I, I mean, I used to feel that way, but now I'm older and I'm like so over it where I'm just like, just give me the money, please. Right.
1: <laughs> I also think that these stereotypes, like for, you know, for whatever reason, that, that stereotype for women versus men, like with the spoiled rich girl thing, we as women just have to not play into that at all, too. If a man
2: gets money from his father or inherits a company from his father, he's a genius. Right. And he's taking a family business and he or, oh, I got, you know, he took money from his father and started an app and everybody loves him. Mm -hmm. And like if the girl takes money, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, she's just like spoiled. Right, right. Be spoiled. God, I would love to be spoiled.
1: (laughs) That will be the quote for this podcast. I would love to be spoiled. (laughs) So
2: why would I ever judge? Someone who's like parents help them, please. Right. If they can help you, take the money and run. Totally. Okay. The last big
1: area I want us to cover is budgeting. And in your book, you talk about how we can see past buzzwords of finance gurus and decide how to actually budget. So what are those buzzwords and, and how do
2: we actually get to the budget? Well, I don't like sweeping generalizations. Like I don't like when they go just cut out coffee or just cut out this or cut cable or whatever, because I think... It really needs to be more individualized. So like I said, when you print out your bank statements and you look through what actually like, I I like coffee. I want to spend this much on coffee, but I don't need to be parking in these lots all the time or I don't need to be um, Postmatesing so often or, you know, whatever it is specifically for me, I'm downsizing from a two bedroom to a one bedroom. So like, you know, whatever it is for you you have to pick out those specifics and you can't be shamed about like everyone your age has an iPhone. And it's like, look, man, if you want the iPhone, get the iPhone. But you got to figure out if that means that like you're you're going to have a roommate. You know what I mean? Like right. it's these things where it's these big sweeping generalizations about what you should cut. And I just feel like there's so much more individualized to that. And you shouldn't feel bad. Like if you want to watch RuPaul's Drag Race the night it airs have fucking cable like you know what I mean like that's but like if you are like well I I don't want I don't necessarily need like I have a lot of I mean I noticed I was like god I have so many pairs of shoes like I don't so don't buy any more shoes right like it's just kind of noticing what is specific to you Mm -hmm. and budgeting's hard I'm a I'm a freelancer so budgeting is so hard because I never know when money's coming in I never know how much it's going to be. And I try really hard. Like I ask and I put together these lists and also I like have a list, you know, in my phone, that's like payments coming in. But a lot of times it'll, they'll say, oh, we'll pay you by April 1st or whatever. And then it's like May 1st and you're like, hello. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really tough as a freelancer. Um, it's, it's probably easier when you have a steady income to, to budget. But I've I don't know what that's like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I as someone who has had the steady income before, it definitely is. But even when you're you have a steady income, you always feel like there's that scarcity. You know, you're always trying to budget and figure out where did it go. So I think this I think these are concerns and challenges no matter what. I think that as a freelancer, there's just kind of the added pressure to also be the one who goes out and gets the money. You know, you like you have to pitch yourself and make sure that you have yeah. income coming in. So definitely, I mean, pros and cons to each. And and I'm sure people listening are like, yeah, but you get to decide what you want to do. You know, so always there those, those pros and cons. But are there any budgeting or, or money finance tools, anything like that that you like that are your favorites that you highly recommend?
2: Um I use you need a budget. I also think like I mean I'm so bad at it. I also think that like I look at my I'll go on my bank's website and I'll see you know they break it down, they budget for you and they they have breakdowns on there that are really helpful. That'll be like here's a pie chart of what you're spending on and you can look and see like what, you know, how much is going to rent, how much is going to entertainment, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I use those, but I'm I'm not I mean I'll I'll use a budgeting app and I'll be like, yeah, I'm messing up like it it lets at least it lets you know what's going on. Right. (laughs) It is it is hard, but it is like staring your mistakes in the face. But you got to do it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You got to do it for sure. Well, yeah. thank you, Gabby. This advice has been super helpful and definitely will help, I think, motivate all of us to at least, as you said, you got to do it. You got to start paying attention and print. I think your advice to print out your bank statements is a great place to start with all of this. Yeah,
2: And I don't want it to seem like, I mean, I cried the whole, i, I the bank statement thing, I cried the whole time. Making a budget, I cried the whole time. Like, it's not great, but you got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it will
1: bring you some peace of mind in another way. Um mm-hmm. Uh, Gabby, where can listeners find you if they've got follow-up questions or want to listen more of your advice?
2: Sure. Um, The Bad With Money podcast is available wherever podcasts are. And then um, the Bad With Money book is out now, available wherever books are. And then I'm on um, Instagram at Gabby Road and uh, in Twitter on, at Gabby Dunn. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me.
1: All right. It's that time in the show when we hear real voicemails left by you and do our best to give you some real talk career advice. And to help, I've invited Kaleen Gahias, who runs content at Career Contessa, to also give her two cents. Today's voicemail is all about how to manage being a first-time manager when you have no idea what you're doing. Let's listen in.
0: Hi, Career Contessa. Um, I love your show. And my name's Emily. And I have a question about managing. Um, I just started a new role within my company, and I'm managing people for the first time. And right away, I started managing five people. And I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, My company offered no training. I've, like I said, never managed people before. And I feel like I'm not doing a great job. But with all the other aspects of my role and all the other work I have to do. I don't feel like I have time to learn about how to manage people. So I just feel kind of stuck. And I'm afraid that the people I manage are unhappy with how I'm managing them. Um, So I was just wondering if you have any resources or advice. Thank you. Hi, Emily. Well, I just, uh, this is Kayleen. (laughs) Usually Lauren starts talking and they're like, who's this stranger? Um, First of all, I wanted to say congratulations on your new role. Um, you're probably, I would guess, doing a better job than you think. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Congratulations.
1: Yeah, it's a I mean, I think anytime someone asks you to be a manager, it's because they felt like you could do the job. So take that as well. And I, I just think about this in terms of like developing your own leadership style. You know, I, I often felt like when I first started leading people, I would start looking around at other people and kind of try to mirror them. And I don't think that's bad per se, but I definitely would encourage you to kind of see this as an opportunity to develop a whole new set of skills and like you get to develop your leadership style how you want to do it. And so one, congratulations, but two, you this is like a cool new opportunity, which you can hopefully more embrace versus feel like it's like been thrown upon you.
0: Yeah, I think a good way also to develop your leadership style is kind of to reflect on leaders you've had in the past. Especially thinking about things that they did that you loved, and things that you just would never want to do yourself. So, um, in developing that, I think that's really helpful because while it might be your first time being a boss, you've certainly had bosses before. Another thing I wanted to say, and I think I think everyone's pretty familiar with this, but like it still is something that you kind of have to pound into yourself is that just because you have a manager role now doesn't mean like everyone's going to expect you to be like this natural born leader overnight. So I think they say leaders are made, uh, not born.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and I think that everyone has this feeling of like a little bit of imposter syndrome when they become a manager. And if they say they didn't, I feel like they're
1: maybe lying. <laughs> Definitely lying. But I
0: think that's really common to have that
1: feeling in the beginning. And I actually think it's it's good. It's good to be self-reflective, especially as a leader. Right. And, and like you said, that you you think everyone expects you to have all the answers, but actually the best leaders are the ones who say, I actually don't know the answer to that and let's work on it together. I also want to touch on, a. you, you mentioned that you also have a lot of work that you're trying to do while you manage. And so a lot of us managers learn this the hard way, but a you know, part of managing is really delegating uh, at least some of the work that you have, and I know it can be hard. It's always really hard to kind of give up the reins of something that you either do really well or you know you take a lot of pride in, and you know you trust yourself to get it done. Now you have to put your trust in someone else, but you have to delegate the work so that you can become the leader and the manager and kind of the visionary for the team. And if you're not freeing up kind of that that brain space uh, for yourself. Like you are going to constantly be juggling between being the employee and the manager.
0: Otherwise, you're essentially working two
1: full jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. I don't think anyone really expects that. Right. Yeah. We also have tons of new manager resources. So this is a topic that we think about a lot at Career Contessa. We cover a lot of it. One of my favorite podcasts is called Ask a Manager. And the woman who runs that is She just has a really good job at, like, helping you navigate through those tough, weird scenarios. Radical Candor by Kim Scott is a great book because also when you're a manager, usually when you're the employee, you're asking for feedback or you're you're being given feedback. But as a manager, you have to give feedback to people, and it is not – Helpful to be a people pleaser or a yes ma'am kind of person when you are a manager. Like people need constructive feedback, and so I really like uh, Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor. We also make you know tons of resources at Career Condessa about this. We just actually launched the new manager manual where it's an online course and we teach you how to make a 30, 60 and 90 day game plan for your new manager. And, you know, what's fascinating about that, there's a lot of like books about your first 90 days, but really that can really help set the foundation for, okay, you're the manager and kind of like there's a new sheriff in town, right? Like here's the rules going forward. Here's what's going to happen. And, uh, so that's also a great resource for you to look at outside of, of your company. And, and I, I know you said they didn't have any training, so you're going to probably have to look outside of your company. <laughs> yeah. On that point, like
0: like Lauren just said, they you said they don't offer in-house, but is it possible that maybe they would subsidize learning resources, like something like um, leadership conferences, leadership e-courses, or just courses in general? Like most companies, I think, yeah. especially when they don't offer in-house, would be open to giving a stipend or some sort of budget for you to go out and um, find those resources on your own, and then maybe even report back and say, "Listen, this is great. I think yeah. this should be part of your management." Training. They should be
1: thrilled that you want to be a good <laughs> manager. Like I don't, I don't know the percentage off the top of my head, but the reason why most people leave companies is because of bad leaders, you know? And so the fact that you want to actually develop your skills to be a good leader, like that should be music to their ears. And maybe you also will get to start, you know, encouraging other managers at the company because oftentimes what happens is people are really good at their job and that's why they get promoted. And, you know, it's not always the right way of doing it, but you have to want to manage people. And so that's why we say like you gotta look at these other resources because it doesn't matter how good you are at your job. This is a whole different skill set. And I think lastly, I would just on that note is like be patient with yourself. You you didn't get to this point in your career in one week, you're going to develop your skills as a manager over time, whether you want to keep a work journal to kind of keep track of, you know, how things are going, track your improvements. You really just want to feel like you're not stuck believing that you're failing. Like, you know, what you said in the voicemails, like, I just feel like they don't like me. I'm not doing a good job. Like you kind of have to get out of that so that you can start to see like, actually, I had a really good conversation with this person. This person's doing better, performing better in their job. Our team is performing well. Well, you know, overall, and really own those accomplishments. Yeah, I think keeping
0: a journal is a great way to, because um, in your own head, you're probably naturally going to go over to kind of the negative side and have that voice going like, rah, rah, "You're doing this, this, yeah. and that wrong." But in a journal, you can like make physical space for you to say, "This is what I'm doing right, and this is what I can improve." And I think that's, I know it sounds. Whatever to keep a journal, but it's so, so, so helpful to just write it down and go, wow. Like, especially if I know Lauren, you've done this before, it's kind of writing down what you've done in your day. And when yeah. you take the time to do that, you're like, wow. Wow. I yeah. <laughs> did a lot today and it's
1: five. That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, we're all a work in progresses. So g- cut yourself some slack for sure. But As Kayleen said, remember, congratulations. This is supposed to be an exciting time (laughs) in your career. So enjoy that. You did it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you want to leave us a voicemail, we'd love that. And we only have a few summer school episodes left. So your last chance to call is fast approaching. The phone number is 844-FEMALES or that's 844-336-2457. We'll be back next Tuesday with Dr. Joy from Therapy for Black Girls to discuss how to have difficult conversations at work. But until then, you can follow us on our new podcast Instagram channel at The Females Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode.
0: I think that when we see these issues of like woman to women kind of bashing and bullying in the workplace, it comes a lot from a scarcity mindset and people feeling like there can only be one woman at the top, right? So if there's going to be like a VP on the board, they're likely not going to pick more than one woman. So I have to prove that I'm the best one for this job. When I think if we were more supportive of one another, then we could either change company culture so that people are forced to kind of feel like there could be multiple women who are playing at these lead roles, or we develop our own companies where we don't have to deal with that.